שיעור 195, יששכר וזבולון ביזנס אורטורה, מייקל אייזנברג. Good late afternoon. This is, a, this is a tough spot. It's the last one of the Emeyun. That would make it tough in and of itself, but Rav Amnon Bazak is giving a shear down the way there, which makes this an even uh, tougher and perhaps more competitive hour. Uh, I want to start, as they say, to thank uh, the Mahon. It's also not obvious that they would invite somebody without a title of doctor or Rav to come give uh, a lecture. And I'm actually humbled by the fact that it would invite just a businessman to uh, come give a, a shiur on Tanakh. Um, and I want to thank them for that. I want to acknowledge the presence of my parents, Avimori Mimorati, and uh, my wife has come. And uh, without them, I would not have been able to learn. Um, and I'll just add that this is uh, an adaptation of of something coming in a forthcoming book that, please God, will come out before Rosh Hashanah called Kmusat HaKesef, Ekronot B'Kalka'a Mibreshit Lamea Asrim V'Echad. And it's the last piece in the book. And uh, please God, it'll come out then. The next thing I want to say is actually, uh, I got goosebumps when I got the notification that I was going to be speaking in this room. Uh, almost 30 years ago, I was sitting right where that woman is with the uh, blue kerchief. Um, uh, which is, and, and it's actually the origin of this pursuit uh, on this topic. Rav Amital was standing over here. I was sitting over there as a 19-year-old yeshiva bacher. And uh, in response to a question I asked him about what the biggest mitzvah of Yishuv Eretz Yisrael was to go uh, settle in a place that had no population or light population, or if you moved to Yerushalayim and Tel Aviv, it was the same mitzvah. He looked at me like this, it's all nonsense. I said, it's all nonsense. Make Aliyah, set up a factory that will employ 10,000 people. That would be the biggest mitzvah. And that began my pursuit of the notion of mitzvot, Torah, and Tanakh, and economics, which will be the topic of, of today. And I've always been bothered, uh, as you can see from the title, by this notion of Yisachar and Zvulun. And you'll note that in the title of the shiur, it's called Torah or business, Torah or uh, economics. Um, and the reason for that is, uh, and you'll note I use the term Yisachar and Zvulun, even though the Torah, and we'll see soon the Mepharshim, use Zvulun and Yisachar, because this contract that we've come to call that which people support Lomdei Torah, which we'll dive into in a second, is called the Eskei Misachar and Zvulun. Uh, I'm not sure how that came to be, um, but we'll start to dig into it right here. So I want to start with the Birchot of Yaakov at the end of Sefer Breshit, uh, Parshat Vayichi. And I'll read the first pasuk and then skip to our topic. Vayikra Yaakov el banav, vayomer heyasu vagida lachem, eit asher yikra, and we all know the famous Rashi, and we assume that Kates means the end of time. I'll suggest, and then I'll come back to it, that means when you return to Eretz Yisrael, when you set up a country and set up a Medina. Um, and we're going to spend some time going through what that means from an economic perspective. But before we get there, I want to look specifically at Zvulun and Yisachar. 
And Yaakov continues, Zvulun lechof yamim mishkon, vehu lechof oniot, v'yarchato al tzidon. Zvulun will be on the sea. He will settle, Yishkon, settle on the sea. And he will use that seafront to use boats, take boats. It's not 100% clear. V'yarchato, and his thigh, back of his leg, is on Sidon. Sidon, of course, being uh, roughly in Lebanon today. Then the Pasuk continues. Yisachar chamor garim, rovet ben hamishpitaim. Yisachar is some form of donkey um, who wanders around, lies around, ben hamishpitaim. We'll come back to that. Vayar menucha kitov, and he sees the menucha, the rest. Kitov et haaretz ki naema, vayet shechmol izbol, vayihi lemas oveil. And he will toil to do some work and become some form of worker. Um, I want you to suspend for a second what you think the pasuk actually means in the pshat, um, which talks about boats, workers, donkeys, uh, and Sidon. Uh, and let's read Rashi. Uh, since my childhood, I've grown up understanding this pasuk in a very simple way uh, that turns out doesn't mean what I, what I thought it meant as a child. Uh, which is what I read in Rashi, which we were all taught to think was Pshat Psukim. And Rashi says, Zvulun lechof yamin mishkon. And Rashi is trying to deal with the question as to why Zvulun is before Yisachar. Because in reality, Yisachar is born first. And if we look at the Brachot of Yaakov, they are in the order of birth. Right? First Reuven, then Shimon Levi, then Yehuda. And then, surprisingly, Zvulun and Yisachar. So Rashi says, "Vulun lechof yamim mishkon, arei zvulun kodem liyisachar, shekain miyachasan yisachar zvulun." Meaning, their yichus, their order of birth, is yisachar uh, and then zvulun. But here, the Torah chose to place zvulun in front of yisachar. Why? Says Rashi, "V'lamakain ela shayaz zvulun osek bik prakmatia, v'yisachar osek batora, v'zvulun ba umachilo." Yisachar learns Torah, Zvulun does business, Zvulun supports him, and therefore Zvulun is placed first, meaning the financial support for the Torah comes before the Torah. He who supports Torah, Torah, has an Eitz Chaim. Now, Rashi understands, I think, that this is difficult from these Psukim, so he refers us to the Psukim in Zota Bracha. And he says, Yisachar kones v'zvulun mevi ba'oniyot, u'mocher mevi lo kol tzracho. Yisachar gathers, whatever that means exactly, Zvulun brings him on the ships, which is what we just had now, Zvulun l'chof yamim mishkon v'u l'chof oniyot. V'chein Moshe amar, smach Zvulun b'tzeitecha, Zvulun who goes out, who goes to work, why? Lama Yisachar be'olecha? She Yisachar be'olecha. Zvulun can be very happy in his work. Why? Because Yisachar is in his oel. Because you help him. Shatam Because you Zvulun help Yisachar sit in his oel. What oel are we talking about here? Olashot Torah. And that is what Zvulun is helpful for, and therefore he comes first because he finances Yisachar's Torah learning. Now. Exactly. Right? So, um, although I'm not sure that's what it means, I think in the set of Rashi, that's probably what it means. So, 
the, the Medrash that this comes from doubles down, actually. Not only do we have that Yisachar sits and learns Torah, not only is Vulun, the financier, mentioned first, and Ulai maybe perhaps uh, more important then, uh, the Medrash in Parshat Vayetzei doubles down on Yisachar and turns them into the Gdoli Oilam. These become the Gdolei Torah, the Tamidei Chachamim, Poskei Alachot. Let's look at the next Medrash. Matayim Rashi Sanedrot, Hayai Yisachar Ma'amid. This comes from a pasuk about the number of chayalim that were sent to David. Poor Yisachar, and we'll see this a little later, only sent 200 chayalim. And so the Midrash assumes they must not have really been chayalim of uh, battle, but rather the Tzivos Hashem, people with the mitzvah tanks. And Matayim Rashi Sanedot Yisachar Ma'amid V'cholachem Maskimim Alacha Al-Pihem There are the Poske Alacha, everyone agrees. V'umeshiv Lahem not just are they poskei halacha, they have an authentic mesorah back to Moshe Rabbeinu. Again, the Midrash trying to understand why is Vulun first. Who really gets the credit? All of this because of the great Zvulun who goes out and toils hard and works hard. And brings back the food to be able to food to feed the bnei Torah. And again, it goes on again to explain Bo'alecha shel Torah. And this, of course, in our own minds, leads to the famous Mishnah Masechet Avot: Kemach Ein Torah. If I don't have a way to live and eat and support and support my family, there's no way I can sit and learn Torah. Hayitachin? How is it possible that I can sit and learn Torah if nobody else is going to feed me? This is not just a Midrash that was given as a Shabbos, Shabbat sermon, Shabbat Drasha in the Beit Knesset, which was what many Midrashim are. This has become actual Halakha. So the Shulchan Aruch, if you take a look at it in Yorodea, says, Kol ish Yisrael chayav b'tamut Torah. Understandable, everybody should learn Torah, not just once every seven years, or not just the Yimei Yun B'Tanach. Everyone should learn Torah. Ben Ani Ben Asher, doesn't matter your socioeconomic status. Bein shalem b'kufo, bein ba'al yisurim, doesn't matter your physical state. Bein b'chur, bein zaken gadol, it doesn't matter if you're old or young. Afilu ani ha'mechazra p'tachim. Even somebody who is knocking on your door begging for money has a chiyuv to learn Torah. And even, even if you're married and have children. Chiddush. Chiddush. Even if. Even if. I think that's a bigger mitzvah, by the way, because you're teaching kids, but that's for another time. Either way, chayav likboa lo zman litamud Torah bayom v'layla. Now wait a minute. We just said that Yisachar learns and Zvulun pays for it. I didn't see anywhere that Zvulun had a chiyuv to learn Torah. Nonetheless, the psak of the Shulchan Aruch is everybody has a chiyuv l'mod Torah. This is certainly uh, a wonderful idea. And you should do it a day and night. Shneemar v'agita bo yomam v'layla. Now, umi she'i'efshar somebody who's not able to learn. Mipnei, why? Either because he's, as they would say, a burva moritz, he can't learn, or because he's otherwise occupied. Okay, otherwise occupied. Business, I guess, if Zulun is the Mefarnes, is an occupation. It keeps me busy, doesn't leave me time to learn. 
If he can't learn himself, he should at least feed or provide for the people who are learning Torah. Here it sounds like it's a bedieved, right? Really, everyone should learn. If, unfortunately, you're too busy, if, unfortunately, you don't know how, then you should finance the people who learn Torah. Now, it turns out that this was okay for the Sephardim, but the Ashkenazim needed more incentives to finance the people learning Torah because the Ramah jumps in and says, doesn't feel good if you're just financing the guy who's learning Torah and you're kind of busy or you don't understand, you're incapable. That doesn't feel good. Don't worry. Don't worry. If you pay for it, you'll get... It's as if you did it. I, I like to think of it this way. Um, you walk into a restaurant, you pay for the food, and they say, it's like you made the food. Or you walk into a car shop and you buy the car, and they say, it's like you manufactured the vehicle. Same thing here, you pay for the Torah, and it's like you learned. That was the incentive that the Ramah felt, I guess, you needed to give the Ashkenazim. adam, and it gets more radical, Lehatnot. im chavero, you can even make a deal. You're so good at business, you're old tarud, but you're good at business, that you can make a deal with the Lomed Torah, that I'll finance your Torah, and you're going to share your Sachar with me. This has troubled me about as long as I can remember. I don't know how people can, if the Mishnah says that we don't know how to count the Sachar of Mitzvot, how you can trade in them, is more wondrous. Would you trade for something you don't know what the value is? Could you trade for something you don't know what the value is? How are we trading in ephemeral items that only God knows and controls? There's amazing tshuva, just as an aside, of Moshe Feinstein, where he understands that there's a bit of a gimmick here. You walk around to every colon, you can give him five shekels, and I'm collecting half of everybody's schar for limut Torah. Moshe Feinstein says you're only entitled to the sachar if you give 50% of your annual income to one bachar. It's expensive. Important things have real value, he says. Um, and the Ramah says that this is a deal that you can make, and this is fundamentally called the Heskem Yisachar Zvulun. Note the reverse, right? The Medrash says Zvulun before Yisachar. The Heskem, the contract to do this, is called the Heskem Yisachar Zvulun. They put the Lomed Torah first. Um, the Rambam famously says, what a, there's an exception if you know what you're doing, I guess, or if you've learned already. We'll move on. Um, the Rambam, in Ilchos Talmud Torah, very famously, cries uh, out against this. And says, He also inflicts pain on himself. He doesn't put it on this vulun. He says the Yisachar can't take money. That's the famous Ramam. And I'm just jump forward to a tshuva or an igaret that the Ramam sent to Rabbi Yefet, which adds a little context to the Ramam's famous uh, uh, diatribe against those who, who take money for learning Torah. The Ramam describes the unbelievable pain he has when his brother dies in a boat accident. Um, the way it describes this terrible thing that happened to me, it's the worst thing that happened to me. His brother dies in the Indian Ocean. He had a lot of money for me. Now, 
the Rambam seems to have been learning Torah while his brother was out financing it, and then he died. I don't know what came before what, or how you, I'm not here to resolve the Rambam. I simply point out that for my entire childhood and most of my adult life, I saw this is what, I assume this is what it meant to be Sachar and Zvulun, and it troubled me greatly. Um, I'll tell a quick story. After I put out uh, my book on, on Esther in English called uh, The Vanishing Jew in English, um, I did an evening in YU with the help of Stu Halpern, who's here, and Professor Aaron Kohler, who also wrote on Esther, uh, kind of hosted me in conversation there. And his book on Esther is, I would call, a celebration of the Gola, and mine is perhaps the opposite. And uh, I live here, he lives there. So the opening question of the night was, is it possible to have objective parshanut of the Mikra? Is that even plausible? He said, look, you live in Israel, you came up with the Zionist polemic. I live in America, I came up with the Gola polemic. Um, and I think the answer, as I told him, is probably when the Torah was written, there was an objective, parsh- objective, objective perush, maybe. Although literature tends to have many perushim. Um, but certainly through the generations, I think everybody's circumstances influence how they understand Mikraot, the Abar Benel, who was the Saro Tsar of Portugal, had one view of it. The Ibn Ezra, who was poor as a church mouse, uh, had a different approach to it. And everybody has their own lens on this. And given that I'm in business, that is going to be my lens on Yisachar and Zvulun. That this is not a story about Torah at all. This is a story about the economy of Eretz Yisrael as Yaakov Avinu perceived it. Um, let's go back to the previous page and try to read the brachot again. And we'll read them very quickly. Listen to these things that I will tell you that happen when you set up a country, a state. You are not fit for leadership, Ruvain. And therefore, you are not going to inherit the leadership either. The three of you are unworthy for leadership. You, Yuda, are destined for leadership. And then we have a transition. And I'm going to skip a little bit. The famous tzav that Yehuda will be the people in charge of the Machut and Sakalacha. These psukim are hard to understand. They are very clearly related to the economy of this area right here. Chachlili enayim miyayin, as Rav Medan likes to say, is the kfanim of Gush Etzion. Levin shinayim mechalav is the other side of the watershed where the, where the flocks graze. Um, no matter how you understand it, this is an economic comment about Yehuda. And then, Zvulun l'chof yamim yishkon, vul l'chof oniyot, v'yarchato ha-yitzidon, yisachar chamor garim, reveitz ben mishpatayim. Three shvatim about manhigut. Shevet Yehuda transition takes over the Manigut of the, of the first three, starts the economic conversation. Zvulun and Yisachar continue as three Shvatim together with Yehuda on the economics. We can prove this um, from the Brachot of Moshe, which I'll come to in a second. But I just want to point out something from the Chizkuni first in order to transition into another problem with Zvulun Lechof Yamim Mishkon.
The Chizkuni says on Smach Zvulum B'Tzeitacha, which is part of the Brachot of Moshe Rabbeinu, the Chizkuni says, Mitra'ema Chakol Zvulun was angry about the portion the Nachalai got in Eretz Yisrael. Why? Because Naftali Amromei Sadeh. Um, Naftali was up in the highlands, but Zvulun was by the Yam. And Moshe Rabbeinu tells him, Smach Zvulun Bechelkecha, be happy with your Chelek, with your Nachala. Beachfront property is not so terrible. Um, is what Moshe tells him. Be happy! You're on the beach. It's not so terrible. Zulun, Lechora, according to the Chizkoni, was very happy. That for Naftali, he had the highlands. Me, Nebuch, I'm on the beach. Um, so the Chizkoni very clearly says that uh, Zulun was on the beach, except there's one problem. He's not. It's a big problem. The Psukim or Meforash that Zvulun does not have beachfront property. Poor guy. It's not bad enough that Naftali and Romei Sadeh, even the beachfront property the Chizkuni promised him is not his. Let's look at the Psukim in Sefer Yoshua. Um, where is Zvulun? Anyone know where this is? The former top of Kvishesh, before they extended it. That's roughly where it is. Um, no, 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 not Naria. Tzomet Alonim. Okay, there's a kibbutz there called Hanaton. There's an interesting business story there too. The kibbutz was bankrupt. A couple of guys from Yerushalayim did a hostile takeover of the kibbutz. They now have solar panels there. They rented out the refet to Tnuva. They're growing wine and they're doing actually pretty well. Um, but it was a leveraged buyout of the of the kibbutz. Matim for Shevet Zvulun. Hanaton el kitat v'nahalal. We know where that is too roughly. Vishimon Yadelu Betlechem, Betlechem Aglili, in this case. Arim Shtem Asrav Chatzren, Zot Nachalat, Benezvun Mishkota, Marim Ayelav Chatzren. This basically describes roughly from the Tzomet at the top of Kvishesh there by Yokneam, going east towards Tavor, north Betlechem Aglili. We know where this is today. Even if the Mefarshim who lived in Europe didn't know, we know. Um, but it's even more dramatic. There's a Mefarash Pasuk that he wasn't on the beach. Yoshua Perak Yudzain. Who gets to the young? Shevet Menashe's beachfront property touches Shevet Asher's beachfront property. And they form, they own the whole beach roughly uh, from just south of Haifa to all the way in the north, the border with Lebanon, including Naharia. That's Shevet Asher. Shevet Dan is roughly there, yes. Somewhere south. Now, the really interesting thing, by the way, to point that out is Lechof Yamim Yishkon, we said the Pasuk, some of the Mephoshim say that that's why Haifa is called Haifa. 
Because Vulun, the Chofi Mishkon, El Amaz, Vulun is nowhere near Haifa. He's much further inland. So, um, now, despite what I'm about to launch into, I don't want anyone to think that I'm against supporting Torah. I just think that the Pshat and the Psukim of Zulun Yisachar doesn't, doesn't explain it. So, I, I printed you out a map. If the Psukim weren't uh, clear enough, the purple in the middle is Shevet Zulun. Oh, man. The purple on my map, you can use your imagination and take out your markers and color in the map. Um, the purple on my map in the middle is Shevet Zulun. What? Above Menashe and to the left of Yisachar, who is in red on my map, but clearly not on yours. Um, now, remember we said, Zvulun Lechof Yamim Yishkon. So Zvulun Lechof Yamim Yishkon, he should have at least two Yamim. He doesn't even have the other Yam. What's the other Yam? Kinneret. That is in Naftali. And even Yisachar is south of that, they're no further east. This is a landlocked country. Uh, funny story, I was... I was uh, in Tel Aviv, I get a call one day from a friend of mine, I said, I need you to spend 20 minutes with some people here from South America. And we sit in Tel Aviv in my office, which has a view of, of the sea, and it's a delegation from Paraguay. And the first thing they said is, we need some advice, we're a landlocked country. I said, we're not. Why are you coming to us for advice? This doesn't feel like a good place to go, but Zvulun is like Paraguay. It's a, it's a landlocked country. And so, we need to try to understand what is at work here. We have an economic directive of sorts. The last three shvatim brachot Yaakov. Uh, to somebody who's supposed to be on the Chof Yamim, but he's not on the Chof Yamim. He's totally landlocked. Um, and Moshe Rabbeinu tells him, Smach, you should be very happy by this. You're totally landlocked. The people of Paraguay were not that happy. Um, in order to begin to unfold this, I want to look at the brachot Moshe. Now, unlike the brachot Yaakov, which are in order of birth, the brachot of Moshe, I will suggest, are thematic. Um, they, of course, start with Ruven, Yechi Ruven Vayamot, how could you step over the Bechor, poor guy? Vezot Yudah Vayomar, Shema Adonai Ko Yudah Vayamot Tivienu Yadav Ravlo Ve'ezer Mitzorav Tiyah, you're going to be the manhig. Ulevi Amar, now we'll go to the religious leadership. So first the political leadership, now the religious leadership. Very clearly a religious directive. Then surprisingly, after the next pasuk, we have an insertion. Binyamin. He comes out of nowhere. He's not in the order of the Bnei Yaakov when Yaakov does it. The Vinyamin Amar Yidid Adonai Yishkon Lavetach Halav Chofef Halav Koleum Venk Tefav Shachen. A reference clearly to his Nachala. This is either a geographic or a thematic breaking down of the Brachot. Levi the Meshartim Binyamin in whose Nachala Hashem is going to be Shochen. And then we have a very, very, very clear transition. By the way, if you get a bracha, I think you want the Yosef bracha. This is the ultimate bracha of natural prosperity. The sun shines, everything comes out of the ground. It's beautiful. There's even a guy who's looked for oil in Shevet Yosef because he believed 
that Mimeged Givot Olam, the company, by the way, was uh, IPO'd on the Bursa in Tel Aviv, because, and it's called Givot Olam. He was searching for oil in Shevet Yosef. Um, I don't think he found, but I'm not sure. He did? God bless. It works. Um, ah. All right, it wasn't that much of a uh, natural bracha. Eretz zavat chalav udvash v'alefu anift. Bechor shoro adar lo v'karnei reim karnav v'hem amin agach yachdav v'seretz erem v'otefayim v'mafayim nashad. This is a pure economic bracha of economic leadership and unbelievable natural bounty. That's the theme. So we transitioned from political leadership to religious leadership and religious geography, and now we're moving on to the economy. The first one is natural blessings in the economy. The second one is a bigger challenge. Now Bitsetecha starts to make sense. What does he need to go out from? The landlock. He needs to break through. He needs to push out. He needs to um, get rid of a boundary that has been placed on him by his natural settings. Remember Yaakov told him, So he's looking out there and saying, I need some ships, but I can't get to them. He needs to break out. Who are the Yamim now? Asher and Menashe. He's not going to have one port. He's going to have the two ports of Asher and Menashe. He's going to break through to the Yam of Asher and the Yam of Asher, the water territorial rights. We have a former Chaver Knesset there who can tell you a lot about water territorial rights. Of Minashe and Asher. Those are the Chof Yamim. Hu Lechofoniot. The Yarchato Al Tzidon. We're going to come back to Yarchato. I'll just take a second to point out that Yerech here is clearly the opposite or different than Shechem or Shechem. What I want to suggest is Zvulun are the entrepreneurs. They need to break out of the constraints. They are landlocked. There's unbelievable export business to be done on the seas with the foreign trading partners, Tzidon. Tzidon is the far, big, right? The Phoenicians are the big seafaring nation of the world responsible for much of the export in the ancient Near East. And Zvulun is supposed to break through, happily, through those constraints, the fact that he's landlocked, and put ports both in Menashe and Asher, one north, one south, further south. Who is Yisachar? Hamor Garim, Rovet Ben Amishpetayim. In modern terms, the truckers. Right? The donkeys of the old, trucks of today. He's further inland. And his job is to take the schora, the goods that Zvulun has picked up and traded for around the world through his seafaring vessels and run them through the land-based logistics system. Yisachar chamor gorem rovetz ben amishpetayim. Vayar menucha kitov, there were gas stations too, he needed rest stops. Vayar menucha kitov v'ta'aretz ki na'ema, because he's land-based, he's seeing how beautiful and wonderful our country is, and that is a beautiful part of the country. Where Yisachar is. He's going to work very hard running this logistics system. Now, the Targum Yerushalmi was on to this. This is not my invention. Yisachar uh, shifta takif. They were tough. They were tough. And their land, their nachala, was between two tchumim. 
which really means between two areas or two mountain ranges. Now, we know, we know of an ancient trade route there. Yisachar was right along the single most important trade route that went from Egypt to Syria and the ancient Near East. It ran right through. It was called Via Maris, and it was around at the time that the Shvatim came into Eretz Yisrael. It was even around before that, by the way. And this trade route goes, like I said, it's the land-based trade route from Egypt through roughly where Shevet Yisachar is, touches other Shvatim as well, obviously, and then over to Syria. And Yisachar is critical. They're close to Zvulun, who have brought all the goods that the export economy has delivered into Israel. And they give it to Yisachar to trade with the eastern and northern countries. Now, the Malbim, although he got the geography wrong, was also onto this. The Malbim says like this, Zvulun traveled the ways. He was like on the airplanes like today, in those days the boats. And he brought back from the export economy, Yisachar Yam Yisachar Al Svatayam. I guess he waited for him, for him to come back uh, on the beachfront. Um, and because of the Aliyat Amayim, they couldn't build any houses there, so they actually had to live inland. But they actually waited there for the commerce to come. This economic cooperation, which I don't agree with the Malbim, happened alongside the sea. I think it happened on Via Maris, on the trade route, after Zvulun brought back, and we'll see this in a second, brought back the, uh, the goods that they brought in into their landlocked place, and then they traded them over to Yisachar. That was the logistics uh, unit of the Israeli economy. Um, this is actually not a foreign concept. Um, every economy needs its entrepreneurs, its risk takers, and it needs its managers and logistics people. people. This is not foreign at all. So um, I may be the first guy to co- quote Nitin Noria uh, from Harvard in a Yemeyun B'Tanach, but he's a Harvard professor who put this into unbelievable words. I'm not sure he knew who Zvuluni Yisachar were. But what he says is entrepreneurs are people who imagine new possibilities. They have vision. They break out. As our entrepreneur management at Harvard has defined it, these are people who have dreams that go far beyond currently available resources. Remember our landlocked tribe's Zvulun. They have to look out beyond their borders, beyond their poor state. They were unhappy being landlocked. And imagine those new possibilities. And they create new industries, they create things that don't exist before, mean international trade for the young state of Israel many thousands of years ago. Those things they create have to be then driven out to scale and scope, and those products and services have to be produced efficiently as one could possibly produce them. That's where the managers come in, they bring in discipline. And part of what I want to suggest is, Yisachar is not only responsible for the logistics, they're the managers. And you remember that Midrash I quoted from Bracious that they said, Yisachar were Talmidei Chachamim? That was a nice sermon. I think if you read the Psukim carefully, they were the accountants also. And we'll come to that in one second. Really interesting comment by the great architect Frank Gehry that I think puts Volun into context. If you ask architect Frank Gehry, best known for building the Guggenheim Museum in Bilbao, Spain, the Disney Concert in Los Angeles, what really inspires his work, he may give you an unexpected answer, limitations and constraints. In all my work with entrepreneurs, I can tell you this is absolutely true. The more constraints you put on them, the more creative they are. Zvulun was given a landlocked land, a landlocked nachala, so that he should be creative, so that he should take risk, so that he should break out and imagine new possibilities. And Yisachar 
more conservative, is responsible for that. You can read the next quote yourself about the current affairs of Startup Nation, but it's the wonder of the Washington Post. How is it possible that this tiny little country of ours could produce that much? This is, I'm going to argue, the nature of Shevet Zvulun. And because of the geographic circumstances, because of the geographic circumstances, and there's a huge amount of research, by the way, done mostly by geographic historians and how geography impacts culture. Um, Professor David Pasig at Bar-Ilan has two books on this and there are many others. Um, how geography affects culture. Landlocked, Shevet. Um, first, we'll go back to Yisachar, who I said before are the accountants. And I mentioned that the Medrash says these were the great Tamidei Chachamim. It comes from this pasuk, Yisachar, these were people who understood numbers, who understood the economy, they understood politics and policies and all these things. This is what they did. Zvulun were the risk takers. Shirat Zvulun, Am Nafsho Lamut. Unbelievable risk takers. Not just that, they sent the single largest contingent to the army of David. Zvulun, it's part of their culture. They sent the soldiers to the army of David. They're the largest contributor, not financial. That's in the Midrash about Heskem Yisachar Zvulun. Here, they actually put their lives on the line. They took a real risk personally to join the army of Hamelech David. This is the nature of these Shvatim. This is what they do. There we go. Now, I want to touch now on another problem that Yaakov foresees. If we accept that what I'm saying is true, that Zvulun is responsible for the export economy of Israel, he needs to set up the ports in Asher Menasheh, he needs to then travel the world and interact with the Tzidonim, the Phoenicians, the greatest seafarers, of those generations. I'm not dealing, by the way, with the anachronism of Yaakov knowing about the Tzidonim. That's for Josh Berman, not for me. Um, and we accept that Yisachar, the Chamor Gorem, Vayihile Mas Oved. These are the workers. Yisachar, Chamor Gorem, Oved, Spina Mishpetayim, he travels via Maris. He's the worker bees, the truckers, the transportation, the logistics, and the accountants of the business that Zvulun brings, we have a risk. We have an existential risk to the people of Israel from this economic behavior. And that is v'yarchato al tzidon. The word yarchato is a hard word. Um, it's not clear what it means. Um, I want to suggest to you that it is the weak link or the most exposed part of anything. So let's start. Let's think about who Yaakov is. Yaakov had two galuyot. Uh, he goes to Beit Lavan where he becomes a rich man and we know the famous Adrashim Lavan Garti Vitayag Mitzvot Shamarti. He understands how difficult it is to be in a foreign country and maintain your Yiddishkeit. He understands. He did a lot of business. Yeah. 
is how we consider him. He cheated Yaakov, and it's hard to maintain your values in the face of this. And then, where does Yaakov finish his life? In Mitzrayim. Romnam, his son, is the Mishnela Melech, and in charge of the economy. But he sees how difficult it is to maintain your values in a foreign country, and he's worried. He's worried about Zivulun. Because the Yarech is Pagia, as they say in Hebrew. It's very, very vulnerable. The Yarkatea Mishkan is the narrow side of the Mishkan. Right? It goes long, and then two narrow sides. That's the Yarkatea Mishkan. Yonah. Yonah Yarad al Yarkatea Sifina. He goes down into the bottom of the boat, where if you punch a hole and spring a leak, it's over. It's the most vulnerable part of the boat. But perhaps most importantly, although it's not in the same tense, is the association with Yaakov himself. That pain, Yaakov, 70 or so years later, is still limping. We don't need to give that Hashem because of that. The place he was most vulnerable was Yerech Yaakov. When the Malach wanted to subdue him, he hid him in the Yarech. The Archato al Sidon is you're vulnerable, Zivulun. You're vulnerable to the influences of the Tzidonim. Now, if you think this is just a warning, it actually is true. Yeshayahu Anavi. When talking about Sorvet Sidon, describes how they're absorbed, totally absorbed by their riches, totally absorbed by their economic success, think they can't fail, and that their ethics, both business and sexual ethics, and their society, is a disaster. It's an ethical disaster. <laughs> And he reams against them. This is going to come to an end. Because when you have an economy, when you have economic success and you don't have with it the ethics of Yisrael Saba, the ethics of Am Yisrael, the ethics of the Torah, it falls apart. Now, I find this passage, this next passage, fascinating. There is a book, one of my favorite books in the world, by a man named Matt Ridley. He wrote a book called The Rational Optimist. Um, it's highly relevant to today because uh, people talk a lot about climate change and that the world is coming to an end, and he goes through all the times in history that the world is coming to an end. We're still here, thank God. Um, and, uh, and he talks about acid rain in the 70s and a million other things that the world was coming to an end. In one of his uh, pieces, he mocks Yeshayahu Anavi. But he mocks Yeshayahu Anavi for what we're exactly proud of Yeshayahu Anavi for. Traveling farther afield, the Phoenicians' innovations multiplied, better keels, sales, navigational knowledge. These people are becoming wealthy from innovation. Accounting systems, log keeping, trade. Once more was the flywheel of the innovation machine. Pay attention to the south. Steeped in their religious obsessions, the Israelite pastoralists looked on in Puritan horror at the explosion of wealth thus created. Isaiah cheerily anticipates Hashem's destruction of Tyre, the market of the nations, Sidon, to humble her pride. Yechezkel vents his shout in Freud when Tyre is attacked. When thy wares went forth out of the seas, thou 
fill this many peoples. It's not going to help you. Your ethics are disgusting. You're going to be destroyed. Matt Ridley is mocking Yeshayo Anavi, Yechezkel. This is exactly what Yaakov Avinu is afraid of. If you do business with the Tzidonim, you will become corrupt. You will become wealthy. You will lose your ethics. You will lose your morals. Now, um, if we go back and read the Psukim, we see that this comes out in the Brachot. What are we worried about? We're worried about dishonesty. We're worried about bad ethics. We're worried about bad morals. That the export economy of Israel, as Vulun travels far afield, will come back to bite us in our essence as a nation, who we are as a people, what's important about us, what differentiates us from the Tzidonim, from Tzor. Now let's read the Psukim again, from this time from Berkot Moshe. You need to be an entrepreneur, you need to break out of your landlocked Nachala. You need to go out, we need an export economy, without an export economy, we cannot survive. That's been tried before many times in history, it fails every time. Protectionism turns out to be a pretty bad idea. You must go out, you must be entrepreneurial, you must break through, you'll set up your ports on Asher and Minasheh, and you'll go out. Now, why can you be happy? Because Yisachar Bo'alecha. Because you are anchored, because Yisachar is in your Olim, they're managing the logistics, they're managing the finances, and perhaps because the Midrash is in some way correct. That because they are the local economy, because they're just transporting from coast to coast, they're the transportation, they are always acting locally, they are stuck in the values of the Jewish people, their interactions are with the other Shvatim, they stop at the borders. They stop at the east and the west border of the land of Israel. Because Yisachar bo'alecha, semach zvulun betzeitecha. Now, amim, these are very difficult psukim. Amim ar yikrao sham yizbechu zivchei tzedek. What are we worried about? About the people who go out and load all the goods, they take the money, they buy the goods and sorts, sidon, kitim, im, dodanim, and all those people out there, mitzrayim, they take the money, they buy the goods in those markets, and they come back. What are we afraid of? They're not going to tell us what came back. That the logs of the goods aren't that accurate. And only they know, because only they're on the ships. Only these balloons on the ships, there's nothing watching them. So Moshe Rabbeinu says, Not like the Malbim said that Yisachar waited on the seashore, but rather... At the harim, where you can see everything, where everybody built mikdashim and mizbechot and everything else, sham yizbechu zivchei tzedek. The kavanah is not for korbanot, but that they will say that your, so to speak, avodat Hashem is in the tzedek, is in the righteousness, justice, mishpat, in the accuracy of your dealings. Ki You're going to be successful. The entrepreneur who breaks out of the landlocked place and goes out and runs the export economy for the state of Israel then, will be successful. People want to get to this trade route to the Via Maris. They want to come to the land of Kena'an, which of course means a trader. This was the trade route. This is it. Everyone wants to come here. You're going to be successful. The Goyim want to come. They want to sell their merchandise through the trade route. You will be successful. 
Nothing should be hidden in the sand. Don't hide your treasures in the sand. Put them up on the Mizbechot. Put them up on the mountaintops. So that Tzedek, as they say, should go out from the mountaintops. I think that's the meaning of the Pasuk. It's a hard Pasuk to read no matter how you read it. Buried under. Safun. Buried under. Like, Usfunei Tmunechol. Buried under. Now, lest you think that Yaakov Avinu was worried for no reason, this unfortunately comes true. This unfortunately comes true. It comes true a lot later, but it comes true. This is a real risk. Smach Zavun Beitzeitecha is a bracha. The fact that they'll be successful, I won't say is a foregone conclusion. They need to work hard for it. But, but, with a lot of energy, with a lot of entrepreneurship, with risk-taking, with having the right personality that you've been given by virtue of your geography, Zulun will do it. And Yisachar, they're a great partner. They're a great partner. The risk of Yarchato al-Tzidon is meaningful. It's really, really meaningful. And I believe it's an Azhara lahove. It's a fair warning. How did the second Beit HaMikdash get built? By the way, the first Beit HaMikdash as well which ultimately goes sideways pretty quick. We all remember where Shlomo HaMelech got his stuff from. But I want to focus on the second Beit HaMikdash. Sefer Ezra, Peragimel, Pasuk Zayin, Veitnu Kesef, Lachotzvim, Lacharashim, Umachal, Mishteh, Vishemin, Latzidonim, Velatzurim. Why? They gave him local produce, they traded, what do they want? Laviyatzerazim, Alvanon, El Yam Yafo. They came to the port of Yafo. Kirishon Koresh Melech Parasalehem. They're allowed to build a Beit HaMikdash. They go to get the goods for the Beit HaMikdash by trading the local produce. Think about the symbolism here. Shemin. Eretzet Shemin Udvash. For the Tzidonim. For what? For the wood. And they travel on the boats. And they come to Yerushalayim. Yay! To build the Beit HaMikdash! Isn't that amazing? Through our trade, we managed to get the implements for the Beit HaMikdash, but we did something else as well. Towards the end of Sefer Nehemiah, Nehemiah says, Vatsorim Yeshvuba. What happens when you trade with the foreigners? They set up agencies, they set up brokers, they set up an economic infrastructure. It happened. Yaakov Avinu was right. Yachato al-Tzidon, when he traded with the Tzidonim, if you weren't strong enough in your ethics, principles, morals, and your own mitzvot, you will be overtaken by the foreign culture. What Yaakov Avinu prescribes is, we must, we must, we must have an economy that trades with others. It's a must. You can't survive without it. He understood it. You must have the risk-takers in Shevet Zvulun, but they must be coupled with the local anchor, with Shevet Yisachar, both in their role as managers, both in their role as financial keepers, and people who will declare that tzedek, that the accounting is right, and that tzedek will cry out from the hilltops. And even as the Lomdei Torah, the symbolism of the Lomdei Torah is that the ethics are solid, the morals are solid, the mitzvot are solid, we are not going to trample on 
perhaps our most holy covenant with Hashem, which is Shabbat. The Tzidonim came and Shabbat went away. Yaakov Avinu was right. And it's very sad. And when we think about the impact of this, this was, you'll excuse me, a Musr Shmuz, somewhat by Yaakov Avinu. He understands the necessity. And he says, you must do it. But be careful. And the interesting thing is he couples him with Yisachar, meaning this must be a unit. We cannot have one without the other. We can't have the ethics, the Torah, the accountants without the entrepreneurs, and we can't have the entrepreneurs without Yisachar. And when it does, it goes away. Now, something fascinating, I'm Ms. Gavis here, he discovered these things, not me, uh, in editing my Sefer. Um, and th- these are, well, I call them miscellaneous legends, because I cannot prove the veracity of it, but I think they tell an unbelievable story that cries out, in my opinion, from the Psukim. The Pshad and the Psukim, as I said, for Moshe Rabbeinu, it's very clear we're talking about economics and not anything else, and not Torah. The same thing is true on the transition of Yehuda. But look what happens. According to the Masoret of the Jews of Jerba, by the way, there's a huge number of Kohanim in Jerba, for what it's worth. Um, there's still a shul there. This is, by the way, from Wikipedia. The people of Jerba say that they're from Shevet Zvulun. And therefore, it looks like this might be, uh, this is from my book, by the way, that this might have been a good warning by Yaakov. So what does he say? He says, The island that the Jews of Jerba are on is the land of Eretz Yisrael. One of Zvulun's son was Sered. Yeah, Sered. Mishpachat HaSardik. Sered was one of his uh, uh, one of his sons, and he even says that Maybe now, interestingly, in Sefer Devarei and the Rishimat Yuchasin of the Shvatim, we don't have any Rishimat Yichus of Shevet Zvulun. It might be they never came back to Eretz Yisrael. It could be that Yaakov was right. Maybe they didn't come back. In another legend, Sefer Yashar, this is not the Sefer Yashar of Rabbeinu Tam, it says that Hard to understand what exactly this means. But either way, Yisachar gets dragged along with Zvulun in this case, and he ends up in Sidon. And I think these are real risks. Meaning, when we look at the history of economy and the history of the economy of the Jewish people, people go all over the place. There's a great book by George Gilder called The Israel Test, for those of you who read it, who said that the Jewish pzura out there, the gola, was the foundations of capitalism because you could turn up anywhere and be trusted. And Yaakov Avinu wants us to have a flourishing country and that's natural. And he wants us to have an export economy driven by Shevet Zvulun. And he wants us to have Shevet Yisachar to make sure that it's an honest and ethical economy. And this is the Mizug, this is the combination of the Brachot of Yaakov and Moshe. 
And it forms the culture of these two Shvatim as it then begins to appear through history. Zvulun become the risk takers. They end up in the Tzavav David. They break new ground to set up the ports and they travel the world and maybe they end up in Sardinia, maybe they end up in Jerba. And they bring back unbelievable goods to grow the economy. And Yisachar travels from coast to coast in Israel, transporting that along via Maris and serving as a key logistical um, vein between Egypt and Syria and Jordan. He really is Lemas Oved. He's working the roots. He gets to see the wonderful parts of our country. And even Chazal, or the Midrash, is making a critical point about this business relationship. Not the one that appears in the Shulchan Aruch, support the Lomdei Torah, but actually that the Lomdei Torah perhaps needs to be the reminder of the mitzvot, the reminder of the ethics, the reminder of the Masorot of Yisrael Saba for all those people traveling the world and creating the economy which we need, Kimen Kamach Be'emet, in Torah. And at the same time, as we establish these relationships, we create a danger. And it's the danger of Bayit Sheni. It's the danger that the Shabbat will be trampled. It's the danger of Bayit Rishon, where the Nevi'im yell at the Malchei Yehuda about the Chilul Shabbat at Sharei Yerushalayim. They're screaming at them about the Chilul Shabbat in the markets of Sharei Yerushalayim. And it's for that that we need to be wary. Not to become like Sidon, who Yishayahu rails against for their opulence and their lack of ethics and their sexual mores. But to continue this Masoret that was of Yaakov Avinu and apply that to the economy that he instructed us to build. Batsacha.